Today we have a special treat. We've got, this is a, a third Tuesday, and uh, we've got a speaker this morning, uh, Pastor Carson Dahl. And uh, Carson, I remember back probably around five years ago, we talked after a reload meeting right back in the grill area there, and we were talking about the call of God, you know, on his life and the direction he was heading and that God was leading him to, at least at that time. And uh, I had made a career change, um, had moved from the marketplace into pastoral ministry um, in 1995, and it was like a five-year process. So Carson had heard about that, and we had a conversation. How does that happen? And uh, the call is God's part, but our part is the commitment. And if you're a born-again believer, we are called to ministry, right? So it's all ministry for us, but then there are different areas that God has called us to. And uh, the pastoral um, calling isn't a higher level. It's just a different level. And I actually personally resisted it when God had put that on my heart back in the late 80s, early 90s. I didn't want to be a pastor, but Father knows best, right? And uh, it's just submitted to him. But it's whatever call and direction that God puts on our life, he knows best. And so I tell guys and gals that ask me for my time in leadership, my experience, they'll ask me, well, how do you sort that out? How do you figure that out? I says, follow the peace of God. If the call is there, your part is the commitment to that call, wherever it might be. But the way you determine it is where can you have the greatest impact? for the kingdom. You know, it could be with what you do right now where there's divine appointments that we pray for and recognize and connect with and commit to that we can have a greater impact there than where we think we need to be. So it's always important to follow the peace of God. So with that, uh, Pastor Carson is going to be speaking this morning and um, he and his wife Shelby just celebrated their anniversary yesterday, and I think it's 13 years. So please welcome him and celebrate with him their anniversary as he comes to share God's word with us this morning. Wow, thank you very much. It's always cool when it seems like Pastor Tom's been reading my notes. <laughs> but it's true. I was, uh, I was in sales for 20 years, and then uh, a few years ago, um, I realized that God had a call in my life, and um, yeah, those may feel like the longest years of your life when you start walking into God's plan for your life, but now on the other side of it, I look back, I'm like, that doesn't feel like it was that long ago. So uh, like pa Pastor Tom said, my name is Carson. I've been pastor on staff for about a year and a half. I am the nursery pastor, so thank you so much for letting me serve you, serve your families. Um, uh, it's really just been a great opportunity to walk out this part of God's life, or plan in my life. Um, I just got back from the return a couple of weeks ago. I heard at least, oh, a couple of woos. Okay. So in, in case you don't know what the return is, um, it's something that, that I, I feel every believing man should go to. Um, really, it's an opportunity to get rid of all... Uh, all interferences in your life, all distractions, and just come to the Father and hear what he has to say about you. So maybe you've been waiting for just the right opportunity. Um, the, the next time to sign up is the best opportunity, and then the time after that is the second best opportunity. If you've been waiting for a sign from the Holy Spirit, consider this it. Um, but just consider that. 
Uh, when I was on the return, um, uh, God had really just um, showed me something that he showed me years ago, but he showed me new layers of that. And I wanted to, to share that with you today. I think it's uh, something that will be helpful for you all. But uh, like I said, my name is Carson. I grew up in northern Michigan. I grew up in Lake City. It's a resort town about 100 miles north. Um, I grew up going to the denominational church in town, the big one, just so we're clear, right? Uh, my family is very active um, in the church. My dad was an elder. My mom was uh, a director in the children's ministry. They were youth group leaders. Um, I was baptized as an infant. Um, I uh, accepted Jesus at Vacation Bible School when I was five years old, accepted Jesus as my Savior. I can tell you the exact person who led me in that. Her name is Shelly Miller, um, and I still reach out to her and thank her at least once a year. I'll reach out to her and thank her. And actually, that probably tells you everything you need to know about how I feel about children's ministry volunteers. Um, and I will use this opportunity as a shameless plug to tell you that, uh, I mean, we continue to see growth in nursery and what we need is volunteers and I'll be honest what we need is men in the nursery we have 15 percent of our volunteers in the nursery are males and I didn't say men because about half of those are children under the age of 18 so um if maybe you've been going here for a while maybe I, I know a lot of people will feel like well you know, I, I, I just don't have a place to serve. Nobody needs me. I don't need, uh, um, or, or my time has come and gone for serving in the nursery. Let me be the first to tell you that fatherlessness is a real issue in this world, in this country, in this state, and in this church. There are children that have zero men speaking into their lives. So if you feel compelled uh, to fill out an application and consider serving in nursery, We'd love, to, uh, we'd love to talk. So, okay, shameless plug over, <laughs> or more like shaming plug. But anyway, <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> that's right. Um, so I, uh, Vacation Bible School is where I made Jesus my, my Savior, not necessarily my Lord, but we'll get, we'll get into that quite a bit. Um, I went to catechism. Um, I did my profession of faith like a good little boy. I did cadets. Did anybody do cadets in here? Okay. Cadets is like Calvinist Cub Scouts, like predestined Cub Scouts, uh, but it's where I got to, I got to learn all the, the manly things like, um, you know, making bottle, or not bottle rockets, but model rockets and Pinewood Derby and braiding. You know, I, <clears throat> I take great pride in my badge and braiding. My daughter's hair appreciates it too, but um, so I, I guess you could say uh, all these things. Um, I, I grew up in the church, went to a uh, Christian school. I grew up Christian, right? Uh, at the age of 15, my family moved down here. My dad uh, became a uh, police officer in the city of Wyoming. So we pulled up everything, moved down here. I moved to Beaver Dam. I don't know if anybody knows where, where Beaver Dam is, but uh, I went to Unity Christian in Hudsonville. Again, just living that Christian lifestyle. But uh, we looked for a church, a home church here for a couple of years. Never really found anything that gave us the same connection that we had where I grew up up north. Um, by the age of 17, I had really started to walk away from Jesus and his plan for my life. Uh, it turned into just drinking, partying, smoking, girls, really anything I could get away with, and I could get away with a lot as a cop's kid. Um, that was just what I, what I sought after, whatever felt good. 
I got uh, pulled over drinking and driving a handful of times. Um, alcohol had definitely taken a grip on my life, uh, among other things. Um, but it wasn't long before I realized that I, I couldn't remember the last time I went a day without a drink. And uh, that's when I really started to realize that I, I might have a problem. But I worked a bunch of different jobs. I, uh, <clears throat> I lived in my car for a while. I was a karaoke DJ on the west side for a while. Good. I was waiting for somebody to be like, that's where I know him from. I'm, I'm really glad <laughs> you don't know me from there. Although if you saw my pictures from uh, the, for my wedding day with my crazy wannabe punk rock hair, then that was embarrassing enough. So I apologize for that. Um, but I, I got a job selling phones on the... Uh, yeah, I know you did. Uh, I, I got a job selling phones on the, on the west side. Okay. Um, I'm selling cell phones in Standale, Michigan. And uh, that's actually where I met my wife. Uh, see, I, I, my buddy Billy was buying me beer. Hey, that's not the truth. My buddy Billy was buying me wine coolers because I couldn't handle beer. And so I started hanging out with him, got to know him, and everybody would always talk about Billy's cute sister, Shelby. And then, uh, well, and, and he would never bring her around to parties because um, everybody talked about how she was just like a goody-goody and a Bible thumper, and she doesn't come to parties. Well, he brought her into my cell phone shop one time. And uh, it was, I can laugh now, but when she walked in the door, I looked at her and I was just terrified. I looked at her and I knew right then that this was the girl that I was going to marry. I knew right then that my days of chasing after girls, my days of partying were all coming to a close. And uh, this was the girl for me. Um, It's funny because now my wife will go, you know, that was the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I do. Like. Thanks for pointing that out. So we started hanging out. I, I got a big boy job, a different sales job, uh, so that I could pay for a ring. And after five very short years of, uh, I want to say dating, but that, again, would be, not be true because I didn't take her on dates. We just went to parties together. And after five years of that, uh, we got engaged. We got married in a little church in Hudsonville. We went and bought a house in Middleville, got the dog, you know, had the two cars, and we're just doing everything right, right? Well, not really. Um, I'm still drinking myself to sleep at night uh, at this point, Um, sneaking beer into the house. Uh, I'm still, I would go out to the bar and have a couple beers and look sensible and then say, okay, have a good night, guys. I'd go home and finish off a case by myself in the basement. And it it was really a problem. And even my wife did not know to the extent of how bad of a problem it was. But Around this time, we actually started looking for a church. Um, eventually started coming back to Res. Uh, uh, my wife had gone here when she was younger. I, ha- I had only been here once and in high school. And I was of the opinion that churches were supposed to be small and sad and smelly. And you can imagine what the devil was doing to my heart when I walked in the door in this room and somebody passed me an offering bucket. Oh, man, I was, this place just wants my money at like 16 years old. This place doesn't care about my money when I'm 16 years old. They care about my heart. Um, but after I grew up, I was able to uh, um, receive it a little better. We started coming here, really appreciated the teaching, appreciated um, uh, the worship. Um, it, was, it was cool. We, we had a guest speaker, Perry Stone. Anybody ever heard of Perry Stone? Um, Perry Stone came, and he spoke on the Holy Spirit. And I'm in the sanctuary with thousands of people. And um, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. They actually cut the cameras for a minute, and he just encourages everybody to start praying in tongues. And I hear 
thousands of people praying in tongues, and I'm just overwhelmed. And then I found out that my wife was one of those people, and I'm like, oh, no, I married one of them. <laughs> uh, but it, it was really at that point that I realized that God had intended more in my life than uh, just fire insurance, just to be my savior. He actually had more in store for me than what I was really walking in, what I had received. And that was the first time that God really spoke to my heart. Um, another guest speaker that came was Marilyn Hickey. Uh, she came down, you know, Marilyn Hickey's like this big. She's amazing. She came down and she had everybody in our section stand up and she started speaking a word over us. Um, she said, okay, everybody over here, stand up. Um, God says, be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. First, uh, First Peter 5, verse 8. And she said, God wants you to clean up your life and get your act together. And even though I was standing with hundreds of people, I might as well have been the only person in the room. I'm like, oh. And uh, God put it in my heart. He said, get your life in order, and I will bless you more than you can possibly imagine. So I had a verse to stand on, and I had the word that he had put in my heart to stand on. Um, that was January 19, 2013. That was my first day of sobriety, and I have not had a drop of alcohol since then. We're coming up on 10 years in January. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that was the moment when I made Jesus my king and not just my savior. I started to live life for him and not just uh, my own way. Um, so, you know, we, we had the house, we had the dog, we had everything going right, and we knew it was time to start a family. Well, we, we started trying and trying, and, uh, you know, after a year, you get discouraged. After two years, you start talking to people about, hey, what do I need to do? And they say, oh, well, you haven't been trying long enough to talk to a specialist. At three years, they actually let you talk to the specialist, right? And maybe that's just my experience, but... So we go and talk to a specialist, um... Uh, and we find out that we are physically incapable of having biological children. Um, my wife had a procedure done uh, where they've just, I, there's a word for it, and you medical types will know it, but basically they just uh, took a camera and found out that her plumbing, for lack of a better expression, uh, was completely sealed up. She could not get pregnant. Um, but before that even, I actually skipped a part, before that even she had had a, a vision and she said, I was driving home from work and I had a vision and we had a little girl and her name is Faith. So I think we just need to have faith. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's kind of on the nose when you look back at it, but at that time it's like, huh, if you say so, okay. Well, um, I'm sitting in a little room in Metro Hospital, and, and the doctor pulls me aside. Shelby's not awake yet, and he explains to me, you will not have children. And I'm just like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not right. And, um, and that was hard. Uh, I had to be the one to, when Shelby woke up, explain everything to her. And she said, well, you don't have to worry. Like, I had that vision, and everything's going to be fine. God will work it out. Um, but I, I mean, I was devastated. I was broken. I was just... I thought, God, you said that if I get sober, if I get sober, then you would do this for me. You said if I got my life in order, that you would bless me more than I could possibly imagine. You said, but what did God say? Right? God is in the details, right? Let's take a look at what God said. So in that verse, 
says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's the uh, New King James Version. The Greek word for sober is nepaste. It's actually not sober as much as it is sober-minded, clear-headed, uh, having good judgment. Um, the next word is uh, be vigilant, right? That's um, any of my return brothers, Gregorio, right? You're watching the, the horizon. You're circumspect. Um, the rest of the verse actually goes on to say why. It says, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Seeking someone to devour is how the ESV puts it. Seeking whom he may devour is how the New King James or King James Version puts it. So there's a couple uh, points in that verse that I just love. The first one is like a lion. I always thought it was weird that it's like, well, Jesus is the lion. How can the devil be the lion? Well, he's not. He's prowling around like a roaring lion. He is the counterfeit lion. He's no match for the real lion, but he is the fake lion, and he's trying to scare us with that. The next thing I, I, I love about that verse is that it's whom he may devour. I don't know if you're like me, but in elementary school, you probably learn the difference between may and can pretty quickly when you say, like, teacher, can I, can I go to the bathroom? And what does the teacher say? There it is. I heard that from an actual teacher. <laughs> I don't know, can you? And that's when we learn the difference between can and may, right? So the devil's looking to devour us when we give him the opportunity. Um, but one thing that the Holy Spirit showed me this week about this is, um, let's look at that again. Because God's adversary, the devil, walks about like, a, it's, is it God's adversary? No. Whose adversary? Yeah, your adversary. So an adversary is actually a two-way relationship. I cannot be your adversary without you being my adversary. So if the devil's your adversary, is, is he, or is, uh, are you his? Okay. Does he know that? Does he wake up every day knowing that you are his adversary? I, I pray that we all wake up in the morning knowing that God's got a plan, devil's got a plan too, and that he knows that, that, uh, that we're awake. Somebody at, on our return event said, oh, crap, he's awake as soon as our foot hits the floor, right? I don't think they said crap, though. Um, anyway, so, so uh, in this, God's word for uh, sober is actually sober-mindedness. It includes sobriety, but it is not limited to only uh, like a chemical sobriety, right? It's saying be unclouded uh, by wickedness um, to have just a clear mind. So God's promise to me was get your life in order. Uh, does that include sobriety? Yeah, but is it limited to it? No, there's actually a lot more to it than that, right? Uh, here's a, a really good example. If we look at um, what God told Joshua in Joshua 1, 2 through 4, I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. That's Joshua 1, 2 through 4. So God is reminding Joshua of all the land that he had promised Moses and, and God's own chosen people. He says that every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. 
But it's, it's interesting that he promised it to Moses, but it's Joshua's feet. And Joshua's walking in the shoes of Moses at this point. That promise was meant for Moses, but Joshua is walking it out. But we'll get to that. Uh, he gives the geographical boundaries of the promised land, right? Um, he gives the, the set limits of the promised land. Well, he does, but he doesn't. He gives minimums, but let's take a look at it a little bit more. Um, <clears throat> and if I could have figured out PowerPoint, you guys would have loved my map. Okay. Um, so uh, if you picture the Middle East to the north, um, about where Israel meets Lebanon, that is the closest boundary of, of the, the then Hittite's kingdom. But to the north of that, all the way up to the Black Sea, which is practically Russia, that borders Russia, that is the entire land of the Hittites, which is exactly what the word says. It's the entire land of the Hittites. If you look for where the Euphrates is, Euphrates gets as close as 300 miles from modern-day Jerusalem now, but it goes as far east as 800 miles where it drains into the Persian Gulf. Uh, Reinhard Bonnke, I don't know if you've ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke, he's a famous evangelist, and he would refer to this as the elastic promise of God. God gives us a, um, a, a set minimum, but he also offers a lot more beyond that set minimum. Uh, maybe another working title for this message would be ripping off Reinhardt, but we went with a different one instead. But <clears throat> Thanks for the laugh. <laughs> so we see that, that God had promised this territory, but really it included minimum boundaries, but actually it, it could have included much, much more. And really, to this day, it still does. Another example is Samson's parents. Um, Samson's parents were told uh, that Samson would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines in Judges 13.5. But what we know about Samson is that he goes on to live a very unrighteous life. He, too, liked to party. Uh, he had a bad temper. He would fight many people. Um, he was supposed to remain clean, but he's eating food from dead animals on the side of the road and uh, getting other people to eat it, too. Um, <clears throat> so even though before he, before he died, he did fulfill the promise of uh, defeating Philistines and, and bringing them down, uh, one has to wonder what would it look like if he had spent his whole life praying to his heavenly father instead of what we see as just the last moments of his life before he knocks down the pillars and kills more Philistines. <clears throat> the word is actually full of other examples, but probably the most sobering of all of them is right back in, in Joshua 1 verse 2 when God says to, Mo, or to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Like I said, the promise was made to Moses, but now Joshua is the one walking it out. <clears throat> Moses could have been the one to bring the Israelites into the promised land himself, but he wasn't, so it was up to Joshua uh, to walk him out. So you really have to consider why. In, in Numbers 20, <clears throat> excuse me, hang on, coffee fixes everything, hold on. So in Numbers 20, Moses is leading the Israelites through the wilderness, and they're thirsty again. Uh, just three chapters earlier in Numbers 17, uh, God commanded Moses to strike the rock and water would pour forth for the Israelites and for their animals. Well, this time, um, God commanded him to speak to the rock. 
But Moses, he's dealing with the Israelites. They're whining and complaining. His wife had actually just died, and he was just over it. So instead of speaking to that rock, he slams on that rock twice. And yes, it bursts open and pours forth water. And the Israelites get their water and their animals too. But that was the moment when a simple mistake, a simple disobedience uh, led to Moses not being able to walk in the promise that was offered to him. We see that God offers a promise um, and he, when God offers a promise, he actually offers everything that comes with it. If God gives you a promise, that promise itself contains the power to fulfill itself. If God says the sky's red, well then, boom, the sky's red and it always has been, regardless of what we think or say, right? <clears throat> we limit God's promises. That is the limit to God's promises. When we don't walk in faith of what God said over our lives, that is a limit to what God wants to do. Um, when we, uh, well, Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. So God can do amazing, wonderful things, and it's according to the power that lives in us. If we don't acknowledge the power living in us, then it's really hard for us to receive the promise that he offered to us. We need to have faith in that promise, and we need to walk in obedience to that promise. But, okay, I want to get back to my testimony. Um, we'll Tarantino this thing and go back to the testimony. So six months after finding out that uh, we physically could not have children biologically, um, I was actually at the gym. May have been the last time I was at the gym. I get a phone call from my wife, and she says, hey, you need to come home. I'm pregnant. <laughs> I, I swear I'm going to make it through this. <clears throat> so it's six months. Some quick math says six months. Well, the procedure was three months after Marilyn Hickey. Nine months after she sowed that word into our lives, it gestated in our hearts and we found out that we were pregnant. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In May of 2014, we welcomed my daughter, Faith. It's hilarious when God gives you a name, but you still like, I wonder if we're going to have a boy or a girl. We had a girl. Her name's Faith. Just like the vision. Right? That's what we said. It's funny when you get on the other side of something and you're like, oh, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense because that's what God said. But he did it. God had come through. Um, I uh, had... Um, quit drinking. I had um, gotten rid of that part of my life. All the friends that I thought were, uh, were friends were actually just drinking buddies. You want to find out who your friends are? Quit drinking. Um, and what's cool, though, is that God provides new ones. But I'm a dad now, right? I mean, prophecy fulfilled, promise kept, and, and that's the end of it, right? Well, no, that was, that was the bare minimum. That was the minimum of what he, he told me. Um, Four years after that, he would do it again. And we would welcome my son, Victor, Victor E. Long story. Victor Elmer Dahl came, uh, came four years later. Um, and actually, that same year was the year that I recognized that God had to put a call on my life. Not just then, but it actually had been there since the very beginning, since before time. God had called me into a life of ministry, but I had been running and running and running from it. 
and now my heart was in a position where I could actually hear and, and receive this call that he had put on my life. God would take those bad influences out of my life and replace them with actual real friends that will walk beside me, walk uh, with me in the kingdom, show me a kingdom way, and draw me closer to Jesus instead of drawing me closer away, uh, further away from a relationship with him. Um, but he would provide in impossible circumstances, um, especially going through two adoptions. Uh, one failed. You know, there were times where we just didn't have the money to do it, but an envelope of cash would show up, praise the Lord, or a check in the mail that we weren't expecting. Let me tell you one thing, free note. Uh, if you pray, Lord, I received the free check in the mail today every time you open the mailbox, once in a while it might happen. But if you aren't believing for that, then, then don't. But I have had at least three times where I've walked to the mailbox and said, thank you, Lord, for this check. And I reached in and pulled out a check. So be encouraged. But all to say, um, actually, speaking of adoption, two years later, God would move mountains out of the way so that my son, Nehemiah, could come home. Um, God continued to do amazing things. Even now, he continues to do amazing things. He, he shows us things. He shows us plans for our, our lives, our family's future that we can't even wrap our head around. And honestly, if he would have told us when I was 15, 18, 25, I would have completely disregarded all of it. But because he is a loving God, a loving father that slowly gives us exactly what we need right when we need it. He is able to show us and demonstrate to us exactly what we need. Even now, what we go through, going through spiritual battles, he equips us. Uh, um, you know, health concerns, he takes care of us. The other night, my son fell in nursery and split his eye open. God just follow, uh, filled us up with peace. And there were many, many people here praying for us. And there was one stitch and we were home and he was fine the whole time. God continues to do exceedingly abundantly more than what we could possibly think or imagine. So I will be sober. I will be vigilant. And when that pretend wannabe lion comes walking around looking for lunch, he's not going to get a lunch out of me, out of my family, because we walk with the Lord and we, uh, we, we watch out for him. Will you guys uh, bow your heads? So the point, the point of a testimony is not to say this is what God did for me and not you. Um, the point of a testimony is for others to overcome. Um, it's actually one-third of how we overcome. Um, I want to know, or maybe I don't even need to know, you need to know, what promise are you standing on? Has God shown you something or spoken to your heart? Take a second right now and ask the Holy Spirit now uh, if there's anything that you're holding on to that's limiting your maximum blessing in life. Until I turned my back on addiction and made Jesus my king, I couldn't do everything that he wanted to do in my life. So if you've never made Jesus your king, but maybe you've made him your savior, but you've never made him your king, maybe you're experiencing addiction, addiction to alcohol or porn, tobacco, work, success, anything that isn't of the Lord, but today you say it all ends, 
October 18, 2022, is the first day of freedom, maybe today you're ready to make Jesus your king, then I want you to raise your hand right now. Awesome. And then lastly, if you've never made Jesus your king or your savior, I want you to raise your hand a moment. Awesome, thank you. Let's all of us men pray this prayer together. It's simple, but it is powerful and it is effective. Say, Jesus, I am ready to make you master of my life. I'm tired of doing things my way. I'm sorry for my sins. I receive your gift of salvation. And I commit to doing things your way from now on. Amen.